0: You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shabbat shalom, everyone, and mazel tov. Lots of simchas to celebrate and great feelings for all of us. As we say in our tradition, King Yerbu, so may it only increase. I want to talk very briefly about something I have been uh, thinking about over Pesach and preparing for Pesach and something that um, maybe you can import a little bit into your Seder. Okay? (laughs) There's one verse towards the very beginning of the Haggadah, after Kiddush, before Manishtana. It's the only verse in the entire Seder with the exception of Haggadah, which comes later, that is in Aramaic. And the verse is Kol Kol So it's this very strange thing that I really never thought about before, and I'm going to give it to you through a metaphor. And the metaphor is something that happens in my marriage all the time. Dori and I will go out to eat, whatever kind of restaurant. Let's say it's a nice restaurant. And the meal comes, and she'll take a bite, and she'll say, this fish is terrible. Try it. <laughs> and I'll say, honey, I, I, I don't, don't want to try it. Huh, try it. It's terrible. There's something wrong with the fish. Honey, I, I don't want to try it. Try the fish. It's terrible. So about 20 minutes later, we finally negotiate. We both get sick from the fish. But there's this Jewish instinct that when something's bad... We should all enjoy its terribleness together, right? Why should only she suffer through a bad fish? Well, we do something very similar at the Seder. This is the bread of affliction. This is poor man's bread. This is bread that tastes like cardboard. Anyone who's hungry, let them come and have some with us. Anyone who needs to make Passover, come on by. We're having terrible bread for dinner. There's something strange about that. We don't celebrate the idea of people making a feast with us and say, come on by, we're having roast lamb. Come on by, we're making an awesome potato kugel. Come on by, we're having my mom's famous pesadica ice cream and mousse. No, we say, come on over, we're having poor man's bread. Something that tastes like cardboard, all of you should enjoy a little bit. It makes no sense if you think about it unless the rabbis were brilliant, which I think they were, and were trying to give us an orientation for how it is that we're supposed to come to the Seder. Because at the end of that Halachmanya moment, they say, Now we are here. Next year, may we be free in Jerusalem. Now we are slaves, next year may we be free people." What I think the rabbis are doing is giving us a perfect orientation for how we're supposed to feel, act, and behave at the Seder, which is confused. We're supposed to be confused at the Seder. We wear a white kittel, which represents rebirth. We sit and have a feast. We drink wine, four cups of it, which is symbolic of a festival. We lean when we drink the wine to show that we're free people and can eat any way we want. But at the very same time, the first foods that we eat, we dip in salt water to represent tears. The second foods that we eat are bitter herbs. We remind ourselves of our punishment and our affliction while at the same time celebrating our freedom. So what is it? What are we? Are we happy that we're free? Or are we sad that we were enslaved? Or can we only appreciate our freedom because we were enslaved? In many ways, it's very similar to the notion of how Israel celebrates its identity. Because on the 4th of E.R., we commemorate the loss of all of the soldiers who gave their lives protecting the land of Israel, over 25,000, so that we can have a homeland. And as the sun sets and goes into a new day, we then begin the celebration and elation of what is the declaration of its independence history and anniversary and renewing our homeland, the state of Israel, after 2,000 years. What a mixture of emotion and feeling, to the point where if you're in Israel for this holiday, you go from pains and lows that literally causes your body to hurt, and seeing parents cry over their sons' graves, of seeing fiancés weeping over what could have been, to what is, hours later, euphoria in the streets, people with silly string and with shaving cream and singing and dancing. And if anyone were a fly on the wall for those 24 hours, 12 hours of Memorial Day and 12 hours of Independence Day, they would be absolutely confused. And so are we. We tell people, come and feast, but feast on poor man's bread. Why? Because we are at a crossroads at the Seder. A crossroads that defines us as Jews for every single day of our life. Because more than not knowing if we should be happy or we should be sad, more than not knowing if we should look backward or look forward, the real core of the Seder... The common denominator of the Seder itself is really the common denominator of every holiday, and I would argue one of the common denominators of the Jewish people. And that common denominator is hope. The rabbis wanted us to start the Seder with a sense of hope. Bring in other people not to eat poor man's bread. Bring in other people not because you're going to have roast lamb. Bring in other people because you have the opportunity to infect them with the notion of hope, which is contagious, beautiful, and core to the Jewish DNA. Why do I say that? Because when we say, hashtahachah, leshana habab yershalayim, now we're here next year where may we be in Jerusalem, this is from the Haggadah that's thousands of years old that could only dream in the most messianic forms that tomorrow we would have a homeland. Tomorrow, we would have a state, and tomorrow, we would have a capital. They never dreamt that it would be 50 years of history that has a reunified Jerusalem, 70 years of our history of a Jewish state, never. It was nothing more than a messianic hope, but it was that hope that kept them alive. And that's why they say at the Seder, hashta avadim, now we're slaves. L'shan habab ba b'nei Next year, we're going to be free. Because what they're reminding us of is that the core to the Seder isn't the maror. It isn't the charoset, It isn't the shank bone, and it isn't the egg. And it's not even the matzah. The core to the Seder is hope. That if you can't enter the Seder, being able to articulate your hope of tomorrow, then you've missed the purpose. And I would argue, you miss more than the purpose of the Seder and you miss more than the purpose of Pesach. You miss the purpose of what it is to be Jewish. At its core, Judaism is hope. It is no accident that after 2,000 years of exile, when we are formed as a state, the anthem of our people is Hatikvah, the hope. That even as we have a state, we haven't forsaken our hope. Even as we have a state, we haven't reoriented our posture towards something bigger and better. We always have hope. Because when we as a people lose hope, we in essence lose our soul. We lose the ability to breathe. Danny Gordas wrote a follow-up piece to uh, the protesters at APEC called, the group of them are called If Not Now. And I thought his follow-up piece was excellent and I would write another piece today. If I had an hour to sit and write, this is what it would be. It would be, what then? Meaning, what's going to happen if Miracle of miracles, the Palestinian people get a new leader, the Israeli state gets a new leader, the American people might get a new leader, (laughs) and the three parties sit down very soon, and they reach an agreement, because I'll tell you, I I recently returned from a trip to Bethlehem and Ramallah, uh, taking, I'll talk about it at a different time, but taking a trip to Israel, looking at the conflict, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, through the Palestinian lens. And I've been following this conflict for basically all of my life in detail, like deep dives. And the one thing I will tell you that I've noticed has changed dramatically, or actually a few, but one in particular, is that the Palestinian people are more hopeless than ever before. They feel such a sense of absolute despair. They don't even care about statehood anymore. What do they want? They want to be able to afford milk for their kids. They want to be able to go buy ice cream and cereal. They want a job. They don't care if they have a homeland. They just want job and purpose. So what if that drive for that integration led to two states for two people? A border, a demilitarized Palestinian state, an Israeli state next to it, some form of trade, some form of getting along, and there was a real peace, which by the way, anyone who lived in 1945 at the end of the war ever would find out and say to them, in just a handful of years Japan and America are gonna be allies, they would have laughed And now we're in conversation as to whether or not we should provide South Korea with nuclear weapons to protect Japan from North Korea. Just think about the irony of that, okay? And not so long a time. We have, since 1980, a real peace with Egypt. The Israeli leadership and the Egyptian leadership have been talking daily about the threats of ISIS and the Negev, who would have thought that in 1979? So let's just imagine we fast forward to the point that there's actually a peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis. My question becomes, to the New israel Fund, to If Not Now, to all these groups like Trua, what do they do with their raison d'etre? Their entire purpose is creating a state for the Palestinian people and equality. Once that line is dotted and signed, their existence ceases, in theory and in actuality. APAC, on the other hand, the ZOA, on the other hand, so many other pro-Israel, they continue because we still have a state of Israel. We still have to advocate for Israel. Nothing on that front changes whatsoever. So why am I telling you all of this about these groups that are fighting Israel because of what they call the occupation? Because these groups are running, mainly run by Jewish people, by the way. These groups, like J Street and others, are running on the inertia of the Jewish people, and what is the driving force of inertia? Hope. What's driving J Street, and if not now, is the idea that these young people, who are great leaders, advocates, smart, with an incredible voice, that they are driving and shaping the future of the Jewish world because they were trained as Jews to have hope. They were trained to think of a better tomorrow, And when they see someone suffering, they see someone in pain, they want to change that. Is that something we should lament? Absolutely not. Is that something we should celebrate? Absolutely. Do we need to fine tune what they're protesting? 100%. But, but, what happens when they're done? When they're done with that, my prediction is that they will pivot to some other cause, maybe worthy, hopefully noble that will continue to take the forward progress of the sense of hope that we are all born with as part of our peoplehood. And they will begin to advocate to shape it because that's what we are. Look, if any of us were satisfied with every single piece about how Israel exists, there wouldn't be 20,000 people filling up the Verizon Center in Washington once a year for APEC's National Policy Conference. There wouldn't be throngs of people reading the paper and following its evolution and growth and maturation. Why? Because we are a people who are based on the notion of hope. Like Hatikva says, Lo Avda Tikvatenu. After 2,000 years, we've never lost a sense of our hope. And it's the same today. If you have dreams about what you imagine the next chapter of your married life is going to be, now that you've become a grandparent, or now that your kids are out of the house, or now that you have more time together because your kids are independent, it's time for you to take that Jewish notion of hope and to build it together. If you have dreams about the next stage of your career, it's time for you to take that hope and to be infused by the notion of Pesach and the jumpstart and to begin anew. If you have dreams about where you want to shape your life and where you want to bring change to the world and say, I'm doing great in my career, I'm doing great in my home life, I'm doing great in my family, but there's a piece of me that's not fulfilled because I'm not an integral part of the community and I'm not bringing change to the world, then you need to hear the call of the Passover Seder that is telling you to take that hope and to channel that hope and to infuse change in the world. And what the Seder is telling us at the very beginning is that the slaves might have been freed by Moses and God and Pharaoh, but it was their hope that drove them to take the steps through the sea and onto their new journey. It was that hope that manifested itself in the Declaration of Independence on the 5th of the Yar, and it was that hope that created the state of Israel after 2,000 years of exile. It was that hope that allowed them to sit in freedom and remember the past while planning for the future. If you can't import that into your personal lives, and you can't import that into the Seder that you build, into the atmosphere you want to create at your table, then you have missed the essence of what Pesach is all about. Hope springs eternal, we are told. Hope springs eternal. Hope in the month and season of Aviv gives us spring that will continue to remind us of our ability to renew, to reinvent, to reintegrate, to have new perspectives, to fortify our orientation of entering this new season and this new year with hope. I hope that all of you have a Pesach that is sweet, kosher, and meaningful. Amen.